If you're like, oh my gosh, this is how it is every week. It isn't. It, maybe it should be. And, uh, but this, the reality is that we are a people who, uh, we really do love one another. And we're not perfect in our love. You know, it's like, how many of you are perfect in the way you love other people? <laughs> you know, we're not perfect. Um, but we aspire to really love as, as well as we can. And uh, so this morning, again, just to kind of let you know what's going on, uh, that's kind of abnormal for you um, in a sense of like that's not a norm for you and where you go. Some, I, was just, I was in prayer, just kind of give you a heads up, I was in prayer and just um, just hearing the, felt like, I felt like God began to speak and just, and it was really not like, I want you to bring everyone forward and pray for healing. It was more of like just this real authentic, hey, I just love these people. And, and so when we view like the, get, like the gift of healing and God bringing healing, Healing is not like this end-all, be-all. It's just simply an expression of God's love for his people, right? It's just one of those things that he loves to pour out to, to express his love for his children. And so I don't understand healing, to be honest. Like, I don't understand how it all works. And I don't, I, mean, I don't know why my mom died when I prayed for healing for her when I was 23 years old. I don't get that. You know, I, don't, I still wrestle with that to this day. But it doesn't take away the knowledge that I have or, this, excuse me, the conviction that I have that God still wants to do that. And then he still heals. And so, yeah, I live in, to be honest, I live in this tension of, hey, I don't understand this, God, but I'm going to pray anyway. I'm going to pray anyway, Lord. I'm going to pray because I believe that you love. And, and I know, God, there are some people that we pray for and they're healed and some people that, that aren't. Well, that just sucks. But I guess we'll have to just work through that. And, God, I know that you love whoever it is anyway. All right. And so I, so I, I guess I'll tell you that because I want you to know I don't understand it all, but I feel convicted that we pray anyway. That's what I prayed. My mom was in uh, ICU at, in Gainesville, and I, and I remember um, talking to my dad about it. And, and I was wrestling with the Lord because I was frustrated. You know, and I remember just wrestling with the Lord. And my mom, she had a brain aneurysm. She basically went to a kind of vegeta- you know, vegetative, vegetable state, whatever. I don't know, veggie state, let's call it that. And um, I know you feel guilty laughing at that. And, um, and so, she was in veggie state. And so, because she's in heaven laughing, my mom thought I'm pretty funny, okay? And so, um, so anyway, she's there, and I'm just like, God, what go, what's going on? I, I don't know why I'm going to this place, but I feel like I need to. Because here's the funny thing. Again, this is kind of my story. I remember I, literally the God had, I felt like God had spoken into me. I'd gone to Brazil. I'd watched somebody's leg grow, and we prayed for them, right? It was pretty amazing. They had scoliosis real bad, and their spine went straight. And I'm like, that's pretty crazy, right? And I pray, we pray for um, this other person. I forget what they had. I'll pray for this cheerleader at University of Georgia, a guy. And, and, uh, and, I, and I remember praying for him, and God just miraculously healed him. It was crazy. Anyway, so anyway, all that to say, I just had this tension because I'm like, God, I've watched you do this, and I felt like people have spoken into my life that I have going to have the gift of healing. And I take the, remember taking the spiritual gift inventory test, and I always scored really high, like I get an A plus on healing, right? And but I watched my mom die. I'm like, God, what do I do with that? And so I pray, like, God, what do I do? And I, and and to be honest with you, I never really had an answer. God never said, Well, here is the one, two, three step answer to all your questions, and you can go and go preach this and sell books and make millions, right? God just said, Well. Just do this. Just pray anyway. Just pray. Just pray for healing. And I'm like, that's not a great answer. And he's like, that's what I'm giving you. And so that's where I've landed. I'm like, God, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to pray anyway. I'm going to continue to pray, and I know that you heal, and, and sometimes it doesn't seemingly happen. And uh, I don't get that. There are things I don't understand about it. But we're going to pray anyway. So when we came forward today, that's what it was. I'm like, God, we're just going to be obedient and believe that you still move. 
and I don't get it. I don't understand all the, any, I don't really understand many of the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, how, some, how come some people are so gifted administratively and are never late? And I'm always late, and ne- or not, I never can administrate myself out of a box, right? God, I don't get that. I pray for the gift of administration. You know what I'm getting at, right? It's all the gifts. I don't understand how any of them work. But I know that he wants to move in those through us, and, and I know that at Vintage, and that he wants to move in this way even more. Why? Because he wants to move, because he wants to love you. And these are just ways that he expresses his love to you. The gift of prophecy. What do we do with that? Well, he loves to speak into our lives through other people. Prophecy is simply God speaking his words, and then we hear that and speak it to somebody else. It's not rocket science, right? I'm not saying you're the next Isaiah writing a new Bible out of your words. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that God speaks, we listen, and I can speak that into someone else's life. And if you've had that happen to you, you know it wrecks you because God just spoke to you through someone and you feel so loved. And so anyway, if you wonder who we are, we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the gift of evangelism. We believe in the gift of ministration. We believe in the gift of teaching, right? We believe in the gift of shepherding. We believe in the gift of tongues and the prophecy and all these things and healing. We believe in all of them. We don't believe he now doesn't need some of them now like he did back then. No, he needs all of them. Why? Because he wants to express his love to us in every form and fashion. Are we going to understand and get everything? No. You're, someone's going to die you pray for. Well... That's terrible. That's terrible. But you keep on praying anyway. Just keep, just keep going after him. And uh, anyway, all right. So, all right. Hey, we had uh, Christian Lewis League worship for us this morning, didn't he? Wasn't he terrible? Um, so now I'm going to have his lovely wife, Ashley, stand up. Come on, just stand up. Stand up and give a little, yeah, just because you're just so awesome, right? Yes. Christians like me, he married way up, right? And so... Uh, we had, a, we had an opportunity last night to go out to dinner with them in Ackworth. They had a great, great time. So I told the first service, and I'll do a better job in this service. Basically, here's the deal. Christian's not going to come be our worship leader. I know we're all sad, right? But we love him, and, and we want them to come as often as they're willing to come. And we kind of get a boo in that because you wanted to come, right? But, um, but he is part of, they're part of our family. They've become great friends. And we met with them last night, just really since God moving and stirring. And what I would say about them, I'm going to kind of just briefly tell this tell my perception, they're in that part of the journey of life that doesn't make any sense, right? It's that part where he just gives them really their daily bread. You know what I'm getting at? Like that part was like, I'm not going to give you anything for tomorrow, but I'll give you what you need today. And they're just in this place, and God's present and God's moving, right? It's, a, it's a, ultimately a good season, but they're at a place where I just recognized last night, what I really want for us is just to love on them, okay? And just to pray for them. So if you have one of those lists that you pray for people, I just want you to put them on your prayer list, okay? Just put it on there. Pray for them. I'm just going to give you a timeline. Pray for the next 30 days, okay? At the end of the 30 days, we'll believe that God will give them somebody else to pray, or unless God says, hey, keep on praying to keep them on the list. But pray for 30 days for them, for his clarity and direction and, and God just speaking into their hearts and just fresh intimacy and more of Jesus. Kind of like Tammy talked last week. Tammy, what do you need in India? We just need more of Jesus. That's what you can pray for them and it'd be great. All right. Hey, let's jump in uh, first and foremost to our tithes and our offerings. If you have those baskets, pass them back down. Uh, we're moving into this Thanksgiving season. So what I would say is this, moving into Thanksgiving uh, as we pass your baskets today, I want you to be aware of the things you have uh, to give thanks for today, right, in this season. I mean, listen, everybody could sit down and talk about all the misery in their life. They really could. That's why in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, who was a very, very God-fearing man, he looked at the, at the, at the, at the, at the United States of America, and he watched as this war, called the Civil War, was just ripping the nation apart. 
and over 600,000 people died in the Civil War. And that's not, that's a ton of people for the lack of people that actually lived in our nation at the time. I forget, somebody in here is a history major probably knows the percentage, but I would say that, was that, does anybody, was that 30% of the people who lived? Do you know, Barry? Was it 10%? 10%. That's a lot of people, right? Everybody knew somebody who was at war and who was dying. And everybody was miserable. So in 1863, it was literally the halfway point. He says, all right, to all the states, to all the states, we are implementing a day of thanksgiving. And if you go and read his speech that he sent out, basically he said this, in this season of our lives being torn, I'm going to paraphrase terribly here, right? Basically, it's the gist of our lives being torn apart, finding ourselves in this horrible civil war, of our family members being gone, literally families fighting against families. Let us find a day in this day in November, and we are going to give thanks for what we have to our great benefactor in heaven who has blessed us in unimaginable ways. Because the idea was simply clear. We talked about this actually at our beach club this past week or on Thursday, which you would love for you to come and help out with, this little promo there. But we basically, it's this idea of that when we focus on misery, we move towards misery. But if we become a people who literally give thanks, it's funny how thanksgiving breaks down walls in our lives and our misery can't stay there anymore. Abraham Lincoln realized that he's like, my gosh, as a nation, we're just depressed and living miserable lives. Let's have a day of thanksgiving for the time you actually got to spend with those who died in this war. And let's thank him that maybe you've lost your house, but you have one another. And maybe you're struggling with food today, but let's just thank God for, for the things that you do have. And so as we come into this season of Thanksgiving in honor of our Abraham Lincoln, this great, you know, the guy with the cool hat and really tall and the great beard, right? Let's just, let's recognize that in that season, as a man who wasn't perfect by any stretch of imagination, but who I believe ultimately had a, a, a relationship with Jesus, at least according to his journals, and his convictions even about slavery, just this passion that he had for the country. Let's recognize that maybe he was a prophet to our nation, in that moment, saying, if you focus on misery, guess what? You're miserable. But if you literally give yourself in giving thanks, thanksgiving then becomes part of who you are. You may not know this, but there was an actual guy whose job it was in the temple that he was a professional thanksgivinger. That's all he did. He would come in and they would literally enter the courts with praise, enter the courts with thanksgiving. It was his job. He would literally come and all he would do was just give thanks for who God was and what he had done in the past, what he was doing today, and what he was as confident about they were going to do in the future. He was the eternal optimist. And that was his job, right? And so what I'm saying in this season, even when we come and we pass the baskets back down, and part of you is like, I can't give this week, right? Hey, I understand I've been there. But there comes this point, then I'd say, if you can't give something physically, then would you at least give thanks? Would you at least give thanks for what you do have? Because when you do that, you stop being a miserable person. And everybody likes people who give thanksgiving, with people who live in gratitude, a lot more than they like people who are living in misery. Right? And you'll actually like yourself a lot better, if we're completely honest. All right. So that's that. Um, 
Here's the other thing I'd like to offer up to you. One of the things about vintage is we, 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 we pride ourselves on being a family. We've talked about that even today as we come and we pray, right? And so, um, and in that, my, the great tragedy for me at vintage are people who come to vintage and never really get connected. So they, they stay for maybe a month, three months, six months, but they never really connect, right? And so, and it, it makes me sad. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to just kind of give you an opportunity of ways that you can plug in and help us get to know you by plugging in, okay? First is this. We have, we have a children's ministry. Lori deals back here with her husband, Simeon, in this back row. And then she's in that beautiful red blouse. I don't know what you call it. Anyway, it's a shirt, right? And so she's sitting back there. She's been doing children's ministry, and things are going really well, and it's just been phenomenal. And we have these nine people. Now, you may not know somebody. You may not know this, but we have nine people other than Lori who are working every Sunday. They basically committed all the way until May, right? We have five people at 9 o'clock and four people at the 11 o'clock service. And they basically are the full-time people. They are owning their classroom, right? I mean, they, they, they're going home and they, we're making them commit an hour a week to study uh, of, their, of their plans. So when they come, they know what's going on. And they're coming and giving their, li- their lives to your kids. I mean, it's, we, just, we appreciate them. We love them for it, right? But what they need in the room with them are simply people who act as a loving, grace-filled policewoman or man, right? Someone who basically will just come in and say, hey, stay at the door and say, you can't go out this door. I love you, right? Something along those lines, or basically to be the person saying, hey, they look at you and say, will you hold my Bible? Yes, I'm a great Bible holder, right? And so they come, and basically what you're doing is just supporting them, coming alongside of them. They're owning the room. I mean, they own the room. All you have to do is just come and support them. And we're simply giving you an opportunity to actually connect at Vintage in a deeper level by getting connected here in the children's ministry. Why? Because when you serve over there, want to get to know all the kids, you get to meet all the parents. They now know your face and name, and you meet people. It's fantastic, right? And all we're asking for is one month. Now, I know some months are five weeks, right? That's okay. See, there are four or five weeks just for one service. You're going over and just supporting someone who is basically giving everything they have for this classroom. And I'll just be honest with you. For those of you who say, well, I just don't do children, that is such a cop-out. Jesus did children, right? He said, don't hinder little ones coming to me. He loved kids. So we're going to just model what Jesus modeled, and we're going to do that. Now, I'm here to help you. We're going to have a table that you're going to run into on your way out the door. Like you look at the walk around it to get to the door to help you to remember. Because I know most of the time you don't sign up just because you forget, because you have great intentions. So I'm just helping, I'm helping you help us by helping you, right? Find the table to sign up. And it's just a great way. So we're literally asking if you, so I'm just asking, I would love for everyone to consider a vintage home just to give a week. If we all give a week, it's just one week and it'd be great. Our kids would love a month. Yes, a week, five, four or five weeks for a month. Thank you, babe. Thank you. Give a month, right. Give a month, okay? Second thing we're looking for, an opportunity. If you want to get connected. Now, here's what we say. If you come to Vintage, we will say to you, if you want to get plugged in, do all sorts of great leadership stuff and lead small groups and that kind of thing, we're not going to let you. You've got to have a six-month window. Why? Because I have no idea who you are. Right. And you really have no idea who we are. 
So it takes at least six months to figure out if you like me and we like you and we can kind of like be family together, right? We're giving you this time. So what we say is this, come for the six months and just kind of get grafted into the vine of vintage, right? Figure out who we are. Figure out our DNA. Let us kind of get our DNA into you. We're not your old church, right? And we don't want to be. We are a vintage 242 and they're them, right? And so you come figure out who we are. And But what you can do in the process, if you would still like to get connected, because you're just one of those people, I've got to be doing something, the greatest job for you is hospitality. Hospitality are those people who you, when you come in, they're like, hey, how are you? And you're like, don't touch my hands, you have germs, right? Something along those lines. But seriously, you can come in and pat them on the back. You can come on, whatever it is. But you can, there's so many things you can do. You can make coffee. You can pass that. You can be Santa Claus and pass out the free gifts in the bag, back in the back, right? You can stand at the front door and just look really good in your brand new boots that are so attractive and just show them off. Hey, how are you? Shake hands. I don't care what you do, right? Just to connect and to be nice to people so that when they walk in, they don't think that we're mean. I told somebody earlier this week, I said the two, th- and so just so you know, the two things I go after on Sunday morning, it's really simple. Number one, that people actually think that we like them and love them. That's number one, right? People actually know that we like them and that we love them. That's point number one. And number two, that the Spirit of God has given freedom to move so that when you walk in, you know something is different maybe than other places that you've been because he's present, if those two things happen, the Sunday morning has been a success. If all, like at the 9 o'clock service, we'll see what happens in this one. All the lights went out in the middle of my sermon, right? I think it was just a power or something in me. I don't know, right? But this whole business, like, no, we don't really care, right? You know, it's like we've always said that excellence is not one of our values because excellence, I mean, seriously, why? Because if I pursue excellence, then I'm going to judge you. You didn't do a great job. Right? It makes you perform. And I don't like performers that much, to be honest with you, right? I want real, authentic people who just love and can roll with the punches. So, anyway. All right, 1216. Here we go. Y'all ready to jump into Philippians? Yeah, sorry, fantastic. <laughs> Philippians. So, we're going we're gonna to flip the Philippians. Good one, Kevin. That was very funny. All right. So, um, just catching up with where we've been. Number one, we said that Paul began the book, the, this letter to the Philippian church, defining himself as a doulos, right? A doulos is simply a slave, he's a servant. He basically came and said, I am, basically, I really am awesome in the eyes of the world, right? Everyone thinks he's awesome, but he wants to make sure that he defines himself as a slave. Because he wants everyone to know that in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the world, he is just a servant, and that's what he aspires to be, right? So he wants to, and we're supposed to emulate that, become like that. The second thing is that he shows his affection to them by calling them partners. It's the only letter in all of his letters where he calls them partners rather than referring to them as spiritual children. Because they've actually grown up. They've matured, right? And so what we said is if we're going to be children, if we're going to be children of God, the idea then is that we then grow and mature also so that then Jesus one day says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, I call you partners. Jesus would say that same thing about us. I call you partners because I can entrust deep things to you that you can carry along with me. So we aspire to that, right? That's a disciple. We're growing. We're always maturing. I said the first service that, That where you are today in your growth with Jesus is not enough for tomorrow. You have to be continually growing and maturing. And so that's part of a disciple. They're always growing and maturing. The third thing is he says, is this, we said that he was actually living life in prison. He wrote this letter from prison, which meant he was being persecuted. Why? 
Well, because he was naming the name Jesus. He was proclaiming the name Jesus, and he was persecuted, thrown in jail, he was being beaten, all that kind of fun stuff, right? And so he comes in this moment, and what we said is that, that we, even last week, we focused on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We interviewed Tammy Hutchins, and she talked about this, her friends, this who lived two miles away, who were pulled out of cars and beaten to the point they thought they were going to die, and the car burned, and then he was thrown in jail because he was proselytizing in Jesus' name, right there, just a mile from her house in India. And so she's telling us these stories about the things that she's going through and, and, the, and how she basically said, hey, yeah, we, we know, we're re-, like, listen, y'all, yeah, she didn't say this the other day. I, I would guess that she's received over 50, quote-unquote, words. 50 people have said, we believe God is saying that your children are going to be martyrs for Jesus. And so she'll tell you, she came here, if you asked her, she'd say, oh, yeah, I'm raising martyrs. They're going to die. I know it. But we're praying hard now that they will be killed well, that people will know Jesus because of their death. These are kids that, I mean, I've played cricket with, who have... I mean, I could tell you the things they've done to me. It's hilarious, right? But I'm going to hear these stories. And so, so we thought the persecuted church, it's real. So we said last week that, and we said last week, and I want to just reiterate this morning this. Your church family is everyone sitting around you, okay? This is your spiritual family. But guess who else is your spiritual family? Every single person in the world who's a believer in Jesus, Right? Every single person. So we don't have the right to say, well, that's just across the world. I'm not going to worry about it. No. If it, listen, if your mom or your dad or your children or your spouse were in a foreign country proclaiming Jesus on a mission trip and they got kidnapped, thrown into a room, and they sent you some Skype video of them all bleeding and beaten up and said, said they've been Proclaiming Jesus, and so we're going to kill them unless you give us something. What would you do? You Listen, I'll tell you what you would do if you were a real woman or a real man. You would fight with everything that you had in you. You would call everybody who knows somebody that knows somebody who knows somebody. And you'd probably hire some vigilantes to go over there and do their own business and go with them and lead a charge with all your makeup on, going Rambo style. You would do it. Why? Because you fight for your family. And so we said last week... You have to fight for your family. We can't live in ignorance of the fact that our spiritual brothers and sisters just died. Someone just died. Someone either just got taken prisoner or just died right now. Right? It's happening, forget, it's like every minute or so. You can go to the Voice of the Martyrs and find out. I can't remember. It's like every one minute, every five minutes, something like that. Someone just got killed. So all I'm saying is this. Paul says, thank you, Philippian church. Thank you. That's what you get at in verses 14, 15, and 16. Thank you for caring for me, for fighting for me while I'm in prison. I said this, I said this, I had this kind of revelation moment during worship today. The Philippian church who was caring for Paul, I think he was probably in Rome at this time, it was a several day trip to get there, which meant that the distance between Philippi and where he was was a further travel distance than any place in the world that we can get to today by airplane, which makes our neighbors in Pakistan actually closer to us than the Philippians' neighbor of Paul in Rome. You see what I'm getting at? We can't use distance as an issue. We have to take these things seriously. And so, what's the, so if you ask anybody, and I've talked to them, I've talked to guys who've been persecuted, and I said, what can we do for you? And they just look and said, don't forget us. And please pray for us. 
That's all you can do. Don't forget us. And please pray for us. And so what I want to say this morning, kind of just feeling it from last week, is that's the call of God. As disciples of Jesus, we recognize we're part of a family, so we're praying for them. All right. So the title of this morning is this. Sometimes I think Paul is crazy. Really, I do. Sometimes I just think that, that Paul is crazy. Let's go ahead and read here from Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 14, going to verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them. If you have your Bible app, you can turn. You can just, I don't know, kind of scroll there. Uh, you can look up here if you want to. It says this, Philippians 1, starting in verse 14. Because of my chains, Paul's talking, because of my chains, and he's in prison, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But... What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will. So it calls crazy, right? Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He's sitting in chains. He's going to die for a faith. But I'm going to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Listen, whether my life, my salvation leads me to life, or my salvation simply leads me to death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, oh, that's gain. When we arrive at eternity's shore, how about the rest of the song goes, right? This is the moment here, right? This whole moment of, oh, to, to die is gain. So we find this. All right, so there are a couple of things that we see here. A couple of things I want you to see in in, in, in Paul. He comes in, he's having this whole conversation about, about life. He's talking about his own situation. He's coming, he's speaking to the Philippians. And he comes and he starts talking about his imprisonment. He, makes this, he says, hey, some people are getting a lot, getting really bold because of me being in, in chains. Church history tells us that the greatest revivals in the world, what means like spiritual awakening, God doing crazy things, are birthed out of persecution. It's amazing. I, I, I've literally sat down and read, I mean, basically from like, I don't know how far back, up until like right now, I'm just taking a church history class right now, and we're up to like 1860. It is amazing to me in church history that 90% of these crazy moves of God are birthed out of persecution. Because when people start getting persecuted, all the things that are fluff in their life just go away, and they become 100% and solely dependent upon Jesus. And it's amazing when that happens, like, faith is birthed and crazy things start breaking out, right? It's so funny, crazy when that happens. So Paul basically is picturing it, saying, hey, bad things are happening, and people are owning it, and then they are just taking my place with great boldness. My, the sacrifice of one has led to, like, 30 or 40 or, I don't know, people just getting up and doing what I was doing. It's fantastic. But then he starts talking about these people who are rivals of his, which is just kind of weird. You know, think about all the, you know, think about all the, the pastors. They, maybe you've been in church where they start talking about, oh, my gosh, you see that church over there? And they start, like, talking the other church down. And usually they only talk bad about churches that are bigger than them. I don't know why they do that, right? Because I guess they're trying to bring them down to their level. And so this whole thing going on, and Paul's like, hey, there are people doing this. 
they're at, they're just like so competitive with me. They have this rivalry with me. And so now that I'm in chains, they think it's really cool just to make me look bad and to talk bad about me. And they're going out and doing it in the name of Jesus, right? But, but they're just, they're really doing it for personal gain, right? Personal gain. And then Paul comes and says, but who cares? Hey, as long as the name Jesus is named, who cares? That, my friends, is crazy, right? Because I don't know about you, but when someone talks bad about me, there's this part of me that kind of like, what are you talking, what, huh? This whole part of me kind of rises up, and my first response is to defend myself, right? I'll throw some elbows, throw some fists, whatever it may be. I just want to, like, I'm just like, who, how dare they? What, 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 are they, what are they saying about me? Are you serious? Like, oh my God, that's so not true, right? And this whole thing going on, you get this dynamic that goes down in, in relationship all the time with people you feel competitive with and you feel this rivalry is, is that you, you feel this need to defend yourself, right? You, you, you have this need to, to push back and this need to fight for your honor and to fight for your name. And you find it all the time in the business world, right? Someone's like slandering you. So you like, you fight back and you push back. And I get it, man. I get it. I get it. But Paul's sitting here saying, who cares? Who cares? All that really matters here is that Jesus is being proclaimed. What we find here in this moment is that Paul has some sort of contentment going on in life that even in the midst of people just speaking bad against him, he's content saying, all that I really care about is what Jesus thinks of me. All I care about is what Jesus thinks. I'm, I'm lost to their words. Does he, does he want to be ridiculed? Come on, let's just be honest. Paul was a human being. Man, he was a real man. Okay, Paul was a real man. He wanted to fight. You know, he killed people because they weren't following, because they were following Jesus when back when he was Saul, right? I mean, he's a man's man. He's tough, right? But all of a sudden, he just had this like shift in him. Something began to stir, and there was just this contentment. It really began the moment of the, like the road to Damascus. Remember that moment? He's riding his donkey, thinking about how he can kill Christians. Oh, man, I can kill him this way. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, Saul, Saul. It was Saul back then. And all of a sudden, he falls down. This bright light comes, and Saul, I don't know what happened. I don't know what he gets knocked off or he just like goes limp and falls off. He really knows, right? But all I know is that he just, and he goes, oh, Lord, who are you, right? From being a man's man and tough, he is scared to death. And from that moment on, there was a shift that happened, an awakening, an aha moment, a revelation, where all of a sudden Paul goes, if you knew what I experienced and saw Oh, my gosh. You would understand why I'm a different man. Because he had this revelation, so he's living in this. And now he continues to give his life then, saying, Jesus, I'm going to focus on you, and I'm not going to focus on others. You see, the, this, is the, this is the heartbeat of Paul in this. He's saying, man, there's all this rivalry and all this stuff. People are against me. They're hurting me. They're speaking all these things. But I've reached this place of contentment. How, does, how can Paul say this? He says this. Verse 21, he says, To live, to live is Christ. I live my life every day for him. It's about him. It's all around him. It's everything about him. Not my will, his will. I decrease, or I decrease, he increases, right? Not my will, his will, purposes, desires, callings, right? But to die, well, that's Jesus too. Because when I die, I see him face to face. 
It's about him again, right? So what we find are these two things happening. To live, well, that's Christ. To die, well, that's Christ. So everything Paul's getting at my life then is Christ. And then the mystery of Paul's contentment being wrapped up in Jesus kind of goes to the next level, right? And the preceding verse gives us a clue of how he reached this place of contentment. And I want you to see this. He says, the preceding verse gives this place. He says, he says, I will continue in verse 18. I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, Philippian church, right? Through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I continue to live or I die. What does he say here? Basically says this. The sources of his contentment, what it was birthed out of, number one, were the prayers, listen, were the prayers of his partners in Philippi. Don't miss that. It was the prayers of these people being in relationship with other people who could encourage him and speak life into him and the Holy Spirit. Right? There's both. There was a duality in this. It wasn't like, and I found my contentment through Jesus. Oh, and it was just pretty cool on the flip side. Also has to go loving me. No, no. He says, I will continue to rejoice and find joy because I've got people who love me and I've got the Holy Spirit speaking into me. Don't miss that. So, Paul rejoices in this. And so, we find this craziness of Paul, right? And what I want to look at is these three things this morning I'll run through real quick. These three things about Paul that he expresses that, listen, I want you to write them down today, and I want you to pray through them and wrestle with them this week. I'm just asking you to do that because I want you to get to a, a place of where you land on all this in your life. The first thing is this. Our spiritual family is of utmost importance. Our spiritual family is of utmost importance. You know, Paul says, it's because of your prayers that I will rejoice and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in me. Hebrews 2.11 says, listen, both the one who makes men holy, Jesus, and those who are being made holy, us, are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or to call them sisters. We're all part of the same family. You've got to remember, when we get to heaven, there's not the American church, there's not the African church. There is one body. It's just one body. It's just one church. And they're all, we're all now part of the same family. And they need us. And then you need one another here. That's why I want you all to get connected here and get connected with one another because you need each other to pray for you, to come like we do right here, and you can do it every day. Like you can call someone on a Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. and say, would you just pray for me? And you've got someone to come alongside of you to encourage you. I mean, listen, some of you are just so PO'd with church and Jesus. You just need someone that you can go off on about how much you hate Jesus. The, geez, we're the perfect people for that. You call me and tell me how much you hate Jesus. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Right? I'm, con- I'm secure enough in my relationship with Jesus to let you rail on him. And guess what? He's strong enough to let you rail on him too. It's fantastic how he works like that. So you need people in your life who can do life, come alongside of you, and just speak into your life. Right? This is the reality. Vintage family we invest into, we're also part of what they call the universal church, which is simply the church of God around the world. Second thing is this. Second thing is our motivation for living must be Jesus. Excuse me. Our motivation for life, living life 
must be Jesus. So your motivation can't be your desires and your dreams and your will. Right? It can't be rivalry and competition with other people, right, with an opponent. It can't be a reaction to what someone else says. And it ultimately can't even be your family or your loved ones. You're not living for your family, right? That's not going to end you in a great place. You are living for Jesus. And what Paul says is, is this discipleship that's growing in a Christ image is that I find my contentment, I find this place in living for Him is my motivation for life. Listen, these people here in, 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 uh, against Paul who are rivals of Paul, we don't really know exactly what they were saying. There's a really good chance they were literally going to the, um, the people who had him incarcerated and were lying about Paul to make sure he never got out. And he's saying, who cares? Jesus will either release me or he won't. It's no big deal. Because in either way, it's Christ. He's my motivation. And if he thinks I'm awesome, then I'm great. Now, I wish they wouldn't say that because it's just not, it's not nice. They shouldn't lie, right? But who cares? Who cares what they say? I only care what he thinks. He is my motivation in life. It's all about him. It's all about him. So, so the next thing we go on, number three, is this. Number three is this. Contentment is found. Actually, let me go back. I've got to say that. I didn't say this at 9 o'clock, but I think it's important. He goes on in Galatians. I don't know exactly what the reference is. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says this, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All Paul is saying is this. He says, listen, I died. I'm a dead man walking. Do you know how you hurt a dead man? You don't. You know why? Because he's dead. You can't hurt a dead man. See, so he walks every day of his life saying, I'm a dead man. Do what you will. You can't hurt a dead man. So he lives every life saying, I got crucified. Remember, I got crucified. I died with him. When I came back to life, it was really just him living his life through me. I'm just turning everything over to him. I'm, I'm, I'm living for him now, right? So there's this whole dynamic going down of Paul saying, I've, been, I've died. You can't hurt me anymore. Why? Because I'm a dead man. You can't hurt dead people. As hard as you may try to insult a dead person, it's not going to hurt their feelings because they're dead. They can't hear you, right? As hard as you hit them. It's going to be like, their eyes are still going to be closed. They may have like weird things going on, they're contorting their face, right? But they're dead. You can't hurt them. And so what Paul is getting at, I'm a dead man. That's the idea. We, when, like I said last week, I'll just quote him again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, when Jesus bids a man, when he calls a man to come, he calls him to come and to die. Because the greatest freedom found in life is in dying to self because then you, no one can bother you or hurt you from that point on because all you're aware of is Jesus and then you're free from everything else in life. It is amazing. It is amazing. So number three, contentment is found in Jesus and Jesus in others. I said, I've already quoted it. In verse 21, it says that Paul rejoiced because he knew that through the prayers of the Philippians and the help of the Spirit, he would find salvation and deliverance. Please don't. Please take off your like holier than, holier than thou lens and like trying to read on the deep version of what this is getting at. All this is saying is Paul saying, listen, I just want you to be really clear. I have joy because of you and Jesus. That's where my joy comes from. So some people say, well, it's just me and Jesus. Well, listen, if it's just you and Jesus, I'm going to tell you you're miserable. 
Because God said about man before he had a name. It wasn't Adam yet. Adam was chapter 3. Man was in chapter 2. You have a name yet. Chapter 2, man is just hanging out with God all day long in his creation. And God said, man, it's just not good for man to be alone. You catch that? He was hanging out. It says it's just not good for man to be alone. You could argue and say, well, is God not enough? Well, God's enough, but he's getting at saying, I've created human beings to be in relationship with other beings. Because when he fell asleep, got woman pulled out of him, he woke up, he's like, yeah, this is it, this is it. This is what I was created for. I was created for relationship with her. She's amazing. She's woman. She's from man. That's what woman means. From man. We're Oh, this is awesome. We've been created to be in relationship with one another. And Paul says it right here. Listen, if you want to have joy in life, then know God and be in relationship with other people. It's a both and. Don't be too spiritual. Think it's just me and Jesus. Bull. God didn't create you for just he and, just for he and you. You'll be living, hey, listen, you'll be living with all your brothers and sisters for the rest of your life, hanging out with them in a community. It's going to be, for all you introverts, it's going to be weird. (laughs) But he's created us to be both and. And Paul says, this is where I find my joy. So here's that, so this morning, we're done. And I just want to challenge you, you can go ahead and come forward, Christian. Come, Christian Lewis, and lead us. But... In our lives, as followers of Jesus, the enemy's great plan is to pick you off as you isolate yourself. It's his favorite, it's like a favorite game of his. Isolate you and then pluck you off, right? It's easy. It's easy. And Paul's saying, that's why I can rejoice while I'm sitting in prison because the Holy Spirit's helping me, but I've got you encouraging me. I've got you praying for me. Remember this guy says, Hey, just don't forget us and pray for us. See, at Vintage, that's what I'm looking for. I really want you to be in a relationship. I know you're introverts. I don't expect you to hang out 24-7 with people. I get it. You need, some, you need days to yourself. Well, then take days. But would you take those few hours and really give yourself to somebody in relationship? We all need that. We all need that. And so, recognize who your relationship with across the world, right? Recognize our sole motivation for living life must be Jesus acting as a dead man, right? Saying it's all about him, what he thinks of me. I'm so enamored by Jesus, I don't really care what you think about me. And as a growth process of growing into that and maturing into the maturity process, okay? That includes not just people at church, but people in your work, your mom, your dad, your mean old sister and brother, right? I'm talking about everybody, even your own children and your parents, right? Like all these pieces, okay? Recognizing Jesus. My mom has said this about me my entire life. But you've said this. I'm never going to listen to her anymore. I'm just going to listen to you. And I pray that you would help her because she's an idiot and has had no idea who she is in Christ either. So I'm praying for her. She'll find Jesus. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.